For AZPM, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, meet the founders of a group called Queer AF, who curate community events that celebrate the LGBTQ community. Hear from representatives from Southern Arizona Senior Pride. This nonprofit has been providing resources to elders from the local LGBTQ community for almost 20 years. Marilyn Hines, MD, a retired pediatrician and longtime health columnist for the Arizona Daily Star, shares some lessons learned from losing her husband to Alzheimer's disease. And Stories That Soar returns with Summer Is Here, a tale from a fifth grader that's as searing as it is relatable. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. June was LGBTQ plus Pride Month. In partnership with other local entities, the organization Queer AF hosted several events in Tucson with the goal of creating safe spaces for the queer community to celebrate. These events shared an emphasis on uplifting Black and Indigenous queer and trans people. Next, Leah Britton sits down with the founders of Queer AF to discuss inclusion and the significance of belonging. Hey, hey, my name is Shay Thomas. I am co-founder of Queer AF. And I am Ashley LaRussa, co-founder of Queer AF. And yes, what we are is a Black-owned business um, that specifies in curating community events for queer and BIPOC people. How did you get started with curating these events? We saw the necessity and the need within the community of getting other queer artists together, queer dancers and poets. And so it just really came out of the need of community. When Shay and I first met, I was actually running another event called Sold Food Wednesdays, which is an awesome opportunity for Black-owned businesses to collaborate and come into community. And they came up to me and just made a really great point in going, you know what would be great is a model of this, but for our LGBTQ community. And, you know, thinking about it, it was like, yeah, you know, I don't really see too many specific events that go, hey, if you're queer, come here, as it were. So why not start something and get it moving? Yeah. Uh, We're from Texas. Mm -hmm. So it's like um, I've been missing home in a lot of many different ways since I've been in Tucson. And I've always just been a part of my friends curating events, specifically in Houston, Texas. And so I was like always around community and specifically black events. And I was like, what would that look like here but queer (laughs) kind of thing? (laughs) And so, yeah, I went up to Ashley and... We, we had a meeting and then we started working. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We had the honor of being able to host some of our earlier events at the Citizen Hotel, which is also a local Black-owned hotel here. Mm-hmm. So just kicking it off, having that sort of security of space mm-hmm. and making sure it was safe, it really propelled us in starting to go, okay, now what can we do within these walls? Our foundation is curating safe space, um, especially for BIPOC people. I mean, we live in a whole world that um, tries to tell and influence us in many different ways. So to have a space um, that we can all come together and really feel safe, 
I think that's, I don't know, it's a magic in itself. And I think that it, it's a model of like how we should be living. Yeah. Why are we not? Why are these spaces everywhere in mm-hmm. every thread of life? What measures have you guys had to take to make sure that all of these spaces are safe and accepting to the crowd that you're hoping to draw in? You know, it usually begins with a conversation. Easily, as we spoke on before, we luckily started at the Citizen Hotel, which was already an inclusive and diverse space. So they already had their mission and values in place. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a meeting going, here's what we're thinking about doing within this space. And does that align with your mission as well? And so as we step into this new year, as it were, and we're doing more pop-up events, it's again having that initial conversation about what is truly your mission Mm -hmm. and how do you want to take actionable steps towards diversity and inclusion and equity? And how are you looking at to support those who aren't necessarily having opportunities other spaces? You know, how do you differentiate yourself from others if you truly want to be an ally mm-hmm. uh, and help? And so it starts with a conversation. Yeah. And usually, you know, when we do that, um, it's been really beneficial to get to know stakeholders and business owners and know that they are, you know, looking to be actionable yeah. and assist in our mission to uplift the queer community. Mm-hmm. Shay, can you tell us a little bit about the events that you guys held throughout Pride Month? Yeah, for sure. We started off with our art uh, pop-up gallery on the 21st, um, and it was just a, a gallery where a queer artist in Tucson came together and we specifically celebrated them and their arts. There was even um, our good friend uh, Leon Sierra who came with his truck, Ramrod, and he paper macheed the truck and everybody added art to the truck. The prompt was, what do you love about yourself kind of thing. Um, And then we slid into Club Pride on Friday. Um, Magical dance party, just freeing moment to just dance and be queer and not be scared, not not have any fear. I really felt that everybody at the event was just dancing and living their best lives. celebrating ourselves like because pride is every day for us it's not a month um and then we ended things with our queer af brunch our host isis defrost and yeah that was again magical i don't know i think we start all of our events in in a foundation of love we start on the same page and i think that vibrates through the community And have you heard stories from any attendees that have really made it feel like putting on these events is worth it? You know, we saw one recently at the Sunday brunch where a lovely woman brought her newborn and had the cutest, uh, you know, earphones on the, you know, the newborn to protect his ears. And then later posted that, you know, this is baby's first drag show. And it just goes to show that we are truly making an impact, you know, when it comes to family and when it comes to a sense of society and how we can truly come together and have a good time. As you move forward during these events and kind of bringing together the community for these magical dance parties, as you say, (laughs) (laughs) how do you feel? Are you optimistic? I feel, I have a sticker on my computer that says, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. And that's what I feel. Because I really feel like I am standing on the shoulders of all of those who came before me all all the marshas marsha mm-hmm. p johnson's that were out there you know like just mm-hmm. that energy really feel deeply supported you've used words like magical and stuff like that to describe these nights how do you like to gauge the success of your events 
That's a great question. I love the feedback. You know, mm-hmm. we've had, uh, you know, large events like our Club Pride, which is, I would say, one of our larger, well, mm-hmm. if not this last brunch, you know, uh, you know, well attended in attendance and in vibe. And then we've had, you know, smaller sort of spoken word poetry nights yeah. where there's a handful of individuals, you know, sitting on the floor <laughs> and, you know, having these musical collective moments, you know, so I would just say it's the feedback and it's hearing back from individuals saying, you know what, I really needed to do that. Or I was just so happy to be in this space. It's the feedback for me. Yeah. What I've noticed with our poetry events, the storytelling, like people will get on the mic and really share some really hard things that they've mm-hmm. been through in their life. And to to do that anywhere at any time is already like courageous move to say the least so the fact that we are cultivating a space where people feel safe to do that is like that is the success in itself because everyone deserves to be loved and supported um and heard and heard so what is next for Queer AF? What events do you guys have planned coming up? Well, my family just got back from L.A. Pride. Oh, my God. And I just want to speak it into existence that, oh you gosh. know, not only will Queer AF be here in Arizona, but we will be looking at partnering cities mm-hmm. and states to, you know, collaborate with in the yes, future. So keep much. your eye on us and what we're doing next. Very much so. Ashley, would you like to cite some of the major partners that have been supporting Queer AF? Absolutely. So starting with our Pride Celebration sponsors and partners, we're going to kick it off with the Playground. They host a monthly brunch with us, and we've been so lucky to have one every month. Our next one will be July 16th, so come out. It's on a Sunday. We also want to give a huge thank you and shout out to Hotel Congress, as well as Proper Shops, and then our continued relationship with Bonica Lane, as well as Flux and Splinter Collective and the Tucson LGBT Chamber. So again, you all make us grow and really help us spread the word when it comes to our events. So those are our major partners and supporters. Ashley and Shay, thank you so much for sitting down with me. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Thanks to Shay Thomas and Ashley LaRussa of Queer AF for talking with Leah Britton. For information on upcoming Queer AF events, you can follow them on Instagram at queer.af.az. For nearly 20 years, Southern Arizona Senior Pride has been providing services to residents who may be fighting isolation or loneliness, or those who simply want to engage with people who understand the LGBTQ community. To learn more about Senior Pride, here's an interview with two members of the group from different backgrounds. Volunteer Sandy Butler is a writer who recently moved to Tucson after five decades in San Francisco. And Scott McDonald was hired as the group's first paid executive director in February of 2023. Tony Paniagua begins. We'll begin with you, Scott. Southern Arizona Senior Pride. It's been around for quite a while, but many people haven't heard about this organization. What do you want to say about it? Yeah, next year we actually celebrate our 20th uh, anniversary. Um, Senior Pride is an organization, nonprofit organization, whose mission is really to support, celebrate, and unite um, LGBTQIA plus seniors. And um, we work in isolation and loneliness, provide identity affirming events, help LGBTQIA uh, plus elders live their authentic lives. 
and create, share, preserve our history and culture, and ultimately make our seniors more visible in the community. And why do you believe an organization like this is even necessary? Well, there are a number of specific challenges that um, have affected older LGBTQIA plus folks, um, and uh, among them isolation, discrimination, healthcare, and housing issues. And, um, you know, we are a targeted organization to help our community address those types of issues. Sandy, you have only been here for about a year. We were talking prior to this interview, and you've become a big fan of this organization. The background is not an unusual story. It's the story of an old woman who was aging, in my case, 83, and decided it was time to be near my children to make this next chapter of my life easier on them. The difficulty was that I left a life of 50 years, a rich life with friends and deep community. And I came to Tucson and I knew no one except my children. And I looked up where were the homosexuals in Tucson, found Senior Pride, and of all the programs they were going to be having within a few days, a book group. It was a Zoom. It was a very lively conversation. I direct messaged three different women and one man who I thought had said really interesting things. We each had coffee, and from there I began to find the bookish people in Senior Pride. And now July 15th will be a year, and I really feel like I have some roots here. I feel like I belong. This is my home now, and it's because Senior Pride made such a soft cushion for me to land. All right, Scott, so you have a varied background yourself. You don't have to be working because <laughs> you could retire. Why are you engaged? Well, it was easy to see how this organization is very much supporting our community. And that, for me, to be mission-oriented is, is very important. I spent most of my career in the corporate sector and then moved back here to Tucson uh, a few years back with another nonprofit got my feet wet in the nonprofit arena. And then when I found out about Senior Pride earlier this year, I said, this is a great organization for me to be a part of. How are you funded and how many people are helping out the organization? We have a few hundred uh, great supporters of our organization, both individuals and foundations. The Community Foundation for Southern Arizona has been a huge uh, supporter of ours and uh, we're quite appreciative of that. Any idea on how many people have been helped and how many volunteers? Yeah, we have several hundred uh, program participants who, who benefit from, from our services and programs with more than 60 active volunteers. And one of the interesting things that we found is that our volunteers benefit as much or more than our participants because they are able to feel a sense of accomplishment and uh, purpose. They meet new people. There are new friendships, new relationships. Exactly. And what are some of your more popular services? One of our key programs is our Community Cares Program, where we partner a volunteer with a specific person who may be isolated. They stay in touch throughout the week and, and stay connected. We have another program called Connect Now, where we provide Wi-Fi hotspots and tablets. But we also have a number of grief and loss and support groups for men and women, advanced medical care planning. It just runs the gamut. And you know, our objective is not to necessarily have hundreds of people at each event. We want to have such a range of services and programs that each person can find where their niche, niche is. Sandy, you've made this organization part of your life here in, in a very short year. 
during a very difficult time, of course, you know, with the uh, pandemic that had been going on. And now you are a volunteer. Not only are you participating in some of the events, but now you are helping out. You've gone that extra step. Well, it doesn't feel like an extra step. It feels like how I have lived as a lesbian all my life. I belong to a community, a chosen family, and we are responsible to and for one another. And we bring whatever resources we have to the collective. And this feels like an extension of how I've always lived. If I'm going to take all the richness that Senior Pride gives me, then whatever it is I have to give back, I want to do that. You mentioned not wanting to waste your time. You want to do something productive. Well, as a, I'm 85 right this minute, and um, I am in a primary relationship with time. That's the relationship I'm in. And how do I use it? How do I fill it? What choices do I make? And these are the choices that feel the most valuable and satisfying to me. And Scott, you have been at the organization for less than a year as the executive director. What are your goals? What would be your dream to look back at this organization in the next year or five years or so? Well, first, we want to make sure that we continue forward with all the programs that we do have in place that to support our LGBTQIA plus elders. Uh, we want to collaborate with other nonprofit organizations throughout Tucson. And one of the, the key areas of interest and concern by uh, senior LGBTQ folks is uh, senior housing, and both in terms of housing options and financial support uh, for, for that, because it is tough in this, in this community. Sandy, let's talk about your hope or your vision for the future. We know that Southern Arizona Senior Pride is a, quote, organization for older folk, but what would you like to say to the young generation? What would be your message to them? What I would like to say many hours of things to the young generation, but if I could try to synthesize, I would say this is a dangerous moment for all of you. And I feel both as an old woman envious of the freedoms and the joy and the pride and the openness that you have in your lives. And I also want to caution you about the world as it's closing in on us and to commit yourself to being responsible for one another, for organizing, for doing whatever it is to remember that your personal lives are part of a larger whole at a time where we're endangered. Sandy Butler, she is a participant and volunteer with Southern Arizona Senior Pride. And Scott McDonald, you were the new executive director of the first officially uh, executive director. Yes. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to learn more about Southern Arizona Senior Pride and how you can participate, volunteer, or donate, you can find a link on the Spotlight page at azpm.org. Alzheimer's disease was first identified in 1906, but our understanding of it has been a slow progression. 
To those living with the condition or caring for someone who is affected, it can seem like only a very small circle of people could ever understand how difficult that process is. I asked retired pediatrician Dr. Marilyn Hines, who is now 92 years old, to share some of her knowledge on the subject. Hines was the longtime health and medicine columnist for the Arizona Daily Star, and she recently authored a book called A Traveler's Guide to Geriatrica to provide compassionate advice on the journey of aging. Well, I'm uh, 92, so I no longer work, but I was a medical educator, and I spent a lot of time helping people. What I learned by myself is that as people age, There are problems with their mental status. Many of these are actually just because of old age and wearing out, and others are actually because of Alzheimer's disease. I had the opportunity of seeing both. My father was just sort of wearing out and died in his early 90s and had done strange things like kept pouring sugar in his coffee when we took him out to drink, but really could manage his life. My husband, on the other hand, was diagnosed as having Alzheimer's disease, and how fast he was going down actually surprised me. And I kept track of what was going on, no question about the disease. Can you give us an example of some of the troubles that your husband had that led you to believe that there was something wrong? Yes, in the early days, we did a lot of traveling. We were at an airport, and he got lost going into the men's room, and I thought, oh, he's probably tired. But then when these kinds of problems came up constantly, it became apparent to me and also to the physicians who were examining him that he had Alzheimer's disease. How did it feel to get that actual diagnosis? Usually, (laughs) the complaint would go to your uh, primary physician. You'd say, so-and-so is doing this and that. And if all goes well, the private physician gives you an, an appointment with one of the people that is an expert in Alzheimer's. And that's what happened to us it became apparent that uh, he needed help. He could not be left alone. I was still working so that I had two people at night. I had to go out. There were two people there taking care of him. It was like a one-person nursing home, and it lasted for several years. It was heartbreaking, but I have to tell you one interesting thing about the end of it. At the end of his life, he said, I'm not going to get out of bed. He had a hospital bed at that time. He refused to get out of bed. He refused to eat or drink. He had decided this was enough. And um, when I went to his room, he was very ill, very weak. He had had no water or food for several days. And he reached up and kissed me goodbye and died. Hmm. And uh, it was a very moving moment. And I think it showed that people uh, hold on to little bits and pieces of themselves, even with a terrible disease going on.
what kind of information was available to you at that time? Had there been any significant studies done, or did you find anything in the medical literature that could help you? both. There was lots in the medical literature. There were uh, good neurology people in our community, and it was not difficult to find the right people to uh, point us in the right direction. Now, if there are communities where this is not true, but we, we uh, uh, if I can use the word lucky, we were, are lucky to have good neurology care here. What kind of advice might you offer to anyone who has been living or been touched by Alzheimer's? Be sure to take care of yourself so that you have the energy to take care of your, of your loved one. Mm-hmm because this is a full-time job. The sadness of seeing someone that you love, their personality gradually fading away at each family gathering, each opportunity to spend time together, there was less and less of the person I knew, a man who was full of humor and, and wit. It just was draining away. So can you just elaborate a little bit on that characteristic of Alzheimer's? You said your your husband held on to certain things until the end, but there is that just that devastating feeling of seeing them fade from color to black and white and then beyond. Yes, that's another good expression. Yes, you're right. Um, you're describing a very, very difficult situation for both the patient and the family. And I recommend that they find a good doctor and that the good doctor helps them with, as best one can, with uh, how to handle this situation. Is there something that you wish that you had known when your husband was still with us that would have made the experience somehow easier for either of you? Is there something that you really want others to know today? what is happening to their loved one. And often this requires that they have a little bit of, uh, of help themselves. This is a full-time job, uh, and the person that, <laughs> that you would like to help you is not able to. And um, you've got to find help somewhere. It's a difficult situation. It is fairly common and uh, seeking help from the community and from the doctors in the community is vital. I was actually surprised to learn that Alzheimer's was identified in 1906. I thought of it as a much more modern illness. Yes, but what we knew was the description of how people acted. But now we know much more. We know what's happening to the brain. We know that um, there are things we can do to help. It's not great, but you can be of help to to a patient with Alzheimer's disease. And also there is community help for the loved ones taking care of them. You can't do it alone. Marilyn Hines, M.D., is the author of A Traveler's Guide to Geriatrica, A Journey into the Changing Land of Aging, published by A3D Impressions. 
The Tucson nonprofit Literacy Connects sponsors a group of performers and musicians called Stories That Soar. Their mission is helping young writers realize the potential of bringing their stories to life for the stage, video, or radio. Next, fifth grader Will from Fruithandler Elementary personifies summer in all its vivid and searing energy. It's narrated by Aliyah Ravenel, a Literacy Connects Youth Center student mentor. Summer is here. He gives heat stroke with his flaming eyes. His smile lights up a forest in flames. His hair is as dark as a dying forest. His stone is black from the forest fire trees. Summer is here. Trees are dressed in emerald leaves. Fruits shrivel when he steps on the ground. The air is blazing hot as he jumps through the sky. Summer is here. People search for shade and water, craving popsicles and ice cream to cool them down. Pools help us to stay cool. Summer is here. The sky is bright and cloudless for long days. The monsoon arrives like a swarm of fruit flies moving toward delicious fruit. The sky is dark and rain falls all night. People wake up to the heat again. Summer is here. The rattlesnakes enjoy the warmth. Lizards compete for the best sunspot. Warm-blooded animals want to stay cool. Summer is here. Charcoal in the air, mist in the sky after the monsoons. Barbecues burn through the summer air. He is here. The heat covers the mountain as he lays down. His voice burns through the long summer days. His warmth brings everything to its knees. Summer is here. That was Summer is Here, written by Will, a fifth grader from Fruithandler Elementary. Go Firebirds! It was produced by the team at Stories That Soar. You can watch the accompanying video on the Spotlight page at azpm.org. And aspiring student-age writers can always submit their stories to the Magic Box Story Portal at literacyconnects.org. Listen for more Stories That Soar every month on Arizona Spotlight. And thank you for listening. This show is a production of AZPM. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. The assistant producer is Leah Britton. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.